In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Victor Muller, General Manager of Amphenol Alden in Brockton, Massachusetts. Victor has been with Amphenol for 11 years and with Alden for five. We talk about the effects of the COVID pandemic on Alden's medical business. We talk about growing up in Argentina and the recent passing of Diego Maradona. We talk about moving to the U.S. for business school and finding Amphenol. We talk about the importance of making networking with other Amphenol divisions a priority for his team. And we talk about why he'd choose the book called The Rational Optimist to be stranded on a desert island with. This is The Interface. Thank you for taking the time to to come on and do this today, Victor. I know with with your business and getting towards the end of the year, it always gets busy for all of Amphenol, not just uh, your division, but all divisions. But you've been with Amphenol. You know, I, I checked, I peeked at your LinkedIn just to see how long you've been there. You've been there 11 years now uh, with Alden for about five. Just for people who don't know about Amphenol Alden, can you just give, give us a, a quick rundown of, of what they're about and, and the products and technologies and services? Yeah. Alden, we are Boston-based with operations there in Mexico and Shenzhen, China. And we basically make custom cables for medical uh, equipment. That's where we play. That's basically where we focus. And it started with high voltage products, uh, X-ray machines. And then we've, we've been developing in adjacent uh, medical equipment uh, components and that's that's where we play mainly where would you say your expertise lies that differentiates you from some of your competitors as far as uh whether it's the products that you could provide is it some of the technologies or the engineering expertise is it some of the uh, operational capabilities that you have i would say all of the above yeah i think we we started more of a niche player now. I mean, we've been growing and getting into new customers, new markets, but basically our value proposition is custom solutions through connectors of basically cable assemblies. We we are a partner. The The medical device safe cycle is goes from three years to five. We have, we've worked on projects for 10 years now and yeah. having a partner that can walk with you through that through ups and downs, through push-outs, through technology changes, design changes. That's mainly what we do. And to be able to be that partner, you need what you all what you said. You need good engineering capabilities, good technology available, Mm -hmm. and the ability to react. I think when we talk about Amphenol being flexible and reactive uh, and being able to make decisions either strategic or tactic on the go and based on what what the customer needs, that's what we our value proposition and what mainly differentiate us from from some of the other big players in our in our industry. So you've been there a few years now, about five years, and previously you were with PCD in the the military and aerospace side of Amphenol. What's the major difference between the military side and the aerospace side and the medical side? Like, what are the differences as far as you know working with those customers and going to market? Well, the main difference is on the on the end market. Uh, in some cases, it's I mean, commercial air, military, totally different than medical. Actually, yeah. sometimes they're complementary if you if you want on the field. Now, 
there's a lot of similarities. Highly regulated yeah. industries. You have the FDA, you have the FAA, big OEMs, uh, sometimes partially government-owned, with a lot of uh, leverage on the on the supply chain. And I've seen similar cycles where when you're working with a customer on the R&D period, they have money, they want to invest, uh, and then you have different cycles. Suddenly they realize that they get into a competitive environment or they have competition, and then they try trying to squeeze the supply chain in, in the good sense. And, and I went through those cycles with big commercial air customers, and I've seen it with also uh, medical customers. So very different applications if you want, very similar environments in, in some sense. When I moved from military and, and military to medical, I, I wondered uh, if there was any similarities and I saw a lot of in, in the type of customers, size uh, and, and the environment, the highly regulated environment. Being in the medical industry now, obviously the last year with the pandemic, has certainly placed a premium on the importance of uh, the medical industry and healthcare in general um, with dealing with all this just because of the, you know, I guess the, the increase in, in uh, visibility to this uh, around the world for hospitals and, and healthcare facilities around the world. How has that affected you and your business um, with dealing with uh, ramifications of the coronavirus pandemic? It changed a lot uh, within the business. If you talk about the mix of mm. products okay. and the mix uh, of the different effects on, on our different customers, all our products that were tied to elective surgeries were either pushed out, the demand dropped, mm. projects put on hold. But on the other on the other hand, you have all the primary care related products, monitoring. Uh, right. Uh, all, all the, uh, we, we don't, we're not working with ventilators, but you saw, I mean, demand for that surge significantly. Yeah. On, on our side, we saw a lot of mixed change, but overall the business was pretty, pretty strong. And um, we had to adapt, obviously, because our production lines are specific to different products. So we have to retrain people trying to stay as flexible as possible, but overall the business stayed pretty strong, pretty healthy, right? with a different mix in, in pretty different mix than what we budgeted. Yeah. But overall we were pretty, uh, it was a pretty strong year for us. And, and that, Chris, just to clarify, that's on the, on the, let's say on the sales side. Yeah. Then internally we had the challenges that everybody had, starting in China with a facility in China when we thought this was just something that was focused in, in, in that area yeah. or a region. And then obviously came March, we understood that this was more than just uh, a local thing. Mm -hmm. And we had to adapt. I think that's, that's where the strength of Amphenol, uh, where you have you see a, a company like Alden and in, in, in Shenzhen, we had to act in a way based on that environment, the same in, in our Mexico facility and in Brockton. And as things evolve and change, we, we we're adding tools. We're trying to mm -hmm. adapt to the different environments in the, in the three locations. Uh, and it really affected us. It showed us that there's a different ways of managing. Uh, we're kind of on a hybrid model in, in, in our Boston facility. Mm -hmm. And so far it's working pretty well, but it's affecting us all 
I think psychologically and, and physically, uh, but we learned that, I mean, we can still do it. And as I said, the business remains strong and we're gonna end up on the other side, if there is another side or if there is a new normal, I think stronger uh, because unfortunately not everybody, not every company survived and not everybody was able to adapt and, and we're here strong. And I think we, we're gonna get more demand at the end of this and we're gonna need to be ready for that. Yeah, I guess if nothing else, you hope that you come out of this situation um, stronger, like you said, in a number of different areas, um, you know, within your business, um, just yourself dealing with, you know, your family and personal life. So it's it's good to hear. So let's, let's back up a little bit now to uh, a young Victor Muller who grew up, born and raised in Argentina. And for those of us, especially here in the U.S., where uh, at least uh, that I work and, and you work as well, tell us about growing up in Argentina. What was that like for you? Well, soccer, soccer all around. But <laughs> Argentina, uh, it's in some respects, it's pretty similar um, society and culture than the U.S., mm -hmm. obviously not as tidy we are more like italians latin we had greeks yeah. we're more of a, a disorganized in some sense <laughs> uh, but it's if you think about the typical italian movie where you have big family gatherings yeah. loud people yeah very loud uh, but very very um, family based and i was able to i mean i grew up in a family of five the first boy and i mean we if you if you look at this Italian movie, that that's where my my childhood. I, yeah, I went to, to school, and then we had big gatherings Saturday and Sunday, and kisses, touches, a lot of things that today, with the <laughs> pandemic, yeah, you can't do. Yeah. yeah, is it is it hard then to 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 not be I guess as physically affectionate as you'd want to be? Yes, it, it actually is. Yeah. On my side, I have I, I have a German uh, grandfather, so mm -hmm. I also like some of the more, let's say, northern uh, <laughs> cultural things. I'm not a big hugger. Yeah. Uh, but when I come when I go to Argentina, when they come visit me, it's usually a lot of kisses and hugs. And yeah. now with the with this pandemic, I mean, we've learned that. Uh, it's something that, I mean, we, we're going to need to change. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the passing of maybe the most famous Argentinian of all time, at least to a lot of us who are not from Argentina, um, Diego Maradona. Can you talk about yes. what that meant to you and, and the country? He, he was like an institution. Yeah. Very, I mean, as a... As a, a in the field, I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you like soccer and you just watch a video, even if you don't like soccer, you see, I mean, you, th you see things that he did in the pitch that was really amazing. And the personality that he had inside the field. And then was, he was very controversial outside. Right. Uh, and basically, I think he, he was, uh, he never owned any of his time. I mean, this guy was just, when he lived in Italy, where he's very famous, even in Argentina, he, he, he never had peace. Mm -hmm. uh, and that led him to, I mean, had a really rough uh, personal life. So he's very controversial. Some people love him. And in general, people love him or love the, uh, 
what he symbolizes. Uh, but there's also some people that are not uh, not very fond of him right. of, because of what he said or what he did outside of the pitch. But I think with time he he he'll become more of a legend. Yeah. And it was a big a big thing here for Argentina, where uh, countries that are not doing very well economically uh, and not during the pandemic, but usually it's 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 a, it's an economy it's very volatile. I mean, people wanna uh, embrace symbols, and mm-hmm. and they sometimes, in, in in my view, they put too much on on a sports person or a politician, and focus uh, less on on their day to day and their what they can do to improve their lives. Uh, so it's it's a big thing, and his legend will grow. But I, I think the guy is in peace now. Yeah, and that's what he never had when he was he was living. Well, transition then to uh, once you're done with high school and you go to university, uh, where did you go and what did you study when you went there? I I'm I'm a BS in engineering. Okay. So I have an engineering degree. I never really work as an engineer, mm-hmm. like an industrial engineer, which is an engineer that doesn't specialize in anything. <laughs> so I studied five years engineering. I worked in a pulp and paper company in Chile. Mm-hmm. Then I worked in a transportation company, railroad transportation, so logistics, and also in an oil and gas company, one of the biggest companies in Argentina. They make uh, seamless steel tubes uh, for the oil and gas industry. So that's quite an eclectic mix there. What are some of the things that you learned from doing some of those early jobs out of college? Well, I learned about a heavy industry like a pulp and paper. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if you would uh, put together an AR for a pulp and paper company, uh, it would be millions and millions of dollars and the payoff is like 20 years. <laughs> uh, 20 years. Yeah. But once you settle, I mean, it's it's a pretty it's steady business. It's a commodity, so prices go up and down depending on, on global offer. We're different than I mean what I've learned in Amphenol. Transportation, logistics. I think that's something that always going to be here. It's going to evolve the, the technology to transport things. Uh, but you look at a company like Amazon today, and it, it's about logistics, mm-hmm. uh, even software logistics. Uh, it's about moving information and moving goods. Uh, then the oil and gas, it's, I mean, as you, we saw these past two years, it, it's also based on commodity prices and a lot of geopolitical decisions may affect your business. And, and again, heavy industries, heavy investments, hmm. very different environments. Before I went to the US or I, I went to Northwestern to get my um, uh, master's degree. And that's where I met Amphenol. So how did you come to the decision to uh, go to the U.S., go to Northwestern, to business school? How did that come about? Well, I always thought of, of having an experience abroad. Mm-hmm. I got married when I was 27. My wife always uh, liked the idea of living abroad. And I applied to different schools in the U.S. And I was accepted in a couple. And... We had a, a couple that were friends of ours that lived in Chicago and didn't know Chicago at all. And it surprised me for good when I went to Chicago. So we decided to go there. And we already had our first born daughter. 
think we moved when she was three months old. Mm. So wow. it was kind of a crazy adventure. Yeah. Uh, but here we are. I met Anthony, actually 11 years with Anthony, but I, I interned 12 years ago with Anthony. Okay. I met Dave Silverman mm-hmm. at Northwestern. That was my first contact with, with Amphenol. And I like the idea. Uh, what I, the things that I, I know really well today about Amphenol, you don't have to sell Amphenol. You just have to say how it is. And yeah. I've been interviewing in the yeah. past weeks, and I don't have a pitch. I just tell them what I like about Amphenol. And either you like it or not. Some people are not a fit. It depends, but I mean, if you're a fit to company like Amphenol, it's 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 really appealing. And here I am, twelve years later. So you start working at Amphenol, and your first job is at PCD. That was the first division you worked at, and you were there yes. for for a few years. So, what did you do at, at PCD? And I know you were in the. We talked a little bit earlier about it in the military aerospace side, but what were some of your initial jobs at Amphenol PCD? Well, I actually started with the project I worked with in, in my previous summer with Amphenol, summer of 2008. Mm-hmm. And that's where I tell the interns, this is not a company where you're going to just put a deck together. If you come back, we want you to execute on that. And that's Amphenol. Yeah. So I, I, I started working as a product manager for uh, rectangular connectors uh, that was used for military applications. Uh, that design in, in a sister company in, in, in France, and we wanted to launch it here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and that that was my first year, year and a half. I think I worked with you, Chris, at some point, yep. uh, this product. And then I started working with adding products to that product management role, usually working with sister divisions. Yeah. And I learned a lot about the intercompany uh, the resale business within Amphenol and what makes Amphenol great is when we make an acquisition or we open a new facility, and integrating that into the Amphenol network, it's a real synergy because you, I mean, you can cross sell and use not only the sales network, but the technology network to, I mean, add to any business units offering. And then I started working in the commercial era business, mm-hmm. uh, managing a, a big product line with a, with a big, big customer. And that gave me a lot of exposure to this commercial part of the business. I mean, working mainly with this big customer, uh, I had to work with them relocating production from one place to another based on cost reduction initiatives. And it gave me a lot of uh, exposure to, as I said, to that commercial side of sales part of the business. You talked about having to work with other Amphenol divisions and collaborating. I imagine once you finally went to Alden, that that certainly came in handy right off the bat because you had, you know, part of PCD's business, especially, you know, um, know, doing imports from a lot of our European sister divisions. So, you know, collaboration is just a natural part of the day-to-day business at Amphenol PCD. Uh, I imagine that must have helped you quite a bit once you got to Alden. Yes, yes, it helps a lot because we don't have a natural tendency to collaborate, uh, not because we don't want, but usually you're focusing more on, on your PNL. Uh, but the value you can bring, and, and it starts with a phone call. It starts with a, with a, with a short meeting and and networking within Amphenol. That's what I usually tell 
my team, I mean, we need to use some of the time to network. I mean, you might have an opportunity down the road and sometimes we're looking to develop certain technology and it could be two phone calls away. Somebody's doing, using some similar technology, a, a filter, a, a magnetic, magnetic technology. These are things that happened. Uh, we just have to call Sydney, New York, or call somebody in China or in Germany. And mm -hmm. it's networking with an anvil. I think it's very important. Collaborating. We know it's not a top down. We're going to have this joint effort uh, to attack this specific market segment or develop this technology. And we, the GMs and the product marketing guys and the sales guys, we need to network and, and be in contact with each other. And at some point, the opportunities to collaborate are going to come. I mean, we, we can't just by design say, oh, then it's going to collaborate with this other division. Right. We, need, we might identify synergies or area where we can collaborate, but we have to stay in touch. And when the time comes, we know who's who on, on the other division and, and, and stay close to those people. When you initially moved to Amphenol Alden to assume the position of GM, how soon was it before you were comfortable? And what were the biggest challenges when you first started? Because it's a vastly different role. I don't think anything, you know, you can be somewhat prepared for it, I would imagine, but you nothing really prepares you to be a general manager for the first time other than the just, you know, jumping in with, with both feet and just seeing if you sink or swim. Yeah, I think it's, it's twofold. I mean, the jumping into a GM position where I had some kind of business unit management, but it's not the same when you get to GM and you have the responsibility and you have the, the ultimate decision making mm -hmm. on, on everything that's going on on the division, but also was jumping into another industry. I told you there were some similar similarities that helped, let's say the sucks of the customers and, and the, the regulated environment. But the main challenge is, I think, when you when you have when you when you change is listen a lot. So Alden has a great management team with a lot of expertise and know-how, with a lot of passion for the business. I think I'd listened to people for months and I learned a lot just listening to them and sometimes arguing, sometimes discussing, yeah. uh, but the best thing you can do is to listen and then make decisions. Obviously you have to make decisions and, I mean, and, and be the leader because that's what this position is about. But listening to the people that know the business that have been dealing with this customer or with kind of factory or, or this issue, technological issues, those are the people that you need to rely on. And, I had the luck to have a great, great management team. So we'll move away from Amphenol here for a bit and get to, you know, Victor, you talked about moving your family to the U.S. years ago. Now, what do you like to do once you're not working at Alden? What does Victor and the family like to do in their free time? I've been, I have kids that now, I, my oldest is 13 and my youngest is six. So I think the last 10 years I've been busy with the kids at that age. And now we're finding with my wife that we have more time off, if you want, mm -hmm. uh, free time. I, I usually like going to Patagonia in Argentina. I love the mountains. I also like going to Maine. So I'm not a big round the world traveler. Mm -hmm. uh, I like traveling, but I like the local. I like driving in, I mean, 
in the car. It, it can be eight, 10 hours at Maine, or, or even when I go down to, to Patagonia in Argentina. I spend time with, with, with my wife, with my friends. I've been doing some uh, hiking uh, in the last three or four years, more relevant hikings. I mean, 13, 14,000 feet wow. mountains. Yeah. Uh, but mainly outdoors. Spend time in the outdoors if I have more time. All right, so we'll we'll change this up. I usually end by asking people um, if they're stuck on a deserted island, um, what album or book or movie that they would bring with them. I'll change it a little bit in in lieu of what you just said and say, if you're stuck in Patagonia by yourself and had a uh, a chance to bring one album with you, what would it be? Or if you want just one music artist, what would it be? That's an interesting one, Chris. In Patagonia, there's a, there's a Spanish uh, artist called Joaquin Sabina. Probably not many people uh, would know about him, but I mean, it's a, it's a guy that I've liked since I was a kid. His name is Joaquin Sabina, and I would take one of his albums to Patagonia. Okay, you stumped me on that one. I don't know him. Now I'm going to have to look him up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now if you could bring one book with you, uh, what book would you bring? There's a book called The Rational Optimist. It's a book that uh, I remember Luke Walter recommended that book for me, and I liked that book. It's a book that talks about how us as human beings, as a human race, uh, and how we've evolved and how today, on average, we live better than a thousand, two thousand years ago. Right. And it's a book that I, every time I can, I recommend it. It's 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 a positive book. It talks about how we we are survivors and we we develop technologies and we not always use those technologies for the do the right things. But as a as a species, we we evolve and I think it's it gives hope and it's it's a very scientific book and I. That's the book, I, one of my best books, and it's called The Rational Optimist. All right, I'll have to look that up too. Finally, if you had a movie to entertain you at night, what would that movie be? My favorite movie is an mo- uh, uh, English movie called Snatch. Brad oh, Pitt. yeah. I, I love uh, English humor, and I'm not saying this to uh, because of Martin Booker. I love Martin, but I always love... English uh, movies, and and this is my favorite of all time, Snatch. Written and directed by Guy Ritchie. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. The same guy that directed Sherlock Holmes movies. Yes, the Sherlock Holmes. Actually, the one that I I love as well is Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. One of my favorites. Yeah, exactly. This came just after that one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Great, great movies. Um, Oh, that's an excellent choice. I could see how that would keep you entertained at night. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It has everything. (laughs) Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, listen, Victor, again, I want to thank you for doing this today. Thanks for um, giving a little bit of your time to, to speak to me and to those that are listening. So as we approach really in the middle of holiday season, I just want to wish you, the family, and Alden all the best. And thanks again for doing this. Thanks, Chris. 